0: As I made the trip last weekend from Phoenix to Salt Lake City, ironically or not, the pilot of both flights made sure to point out the point of our flight where we actually did pass above the Grand Canyon. And I thought that was quite the metaphor for what took place in Salt Lake City. On Saturday night, it was a Grand Canyon of a gap talent between Arizona State and Utah. The Sun Devils entered this contest as a very heavy underdog, just around two touchdowns. And sure enough, the 21-3 win by the Utes definitely manifested that perceived disparity between both programs. So now the bigger question is, is this going to be a minor setback en route to a major comeback by Arizona State? Or has this game really exposed some shortcomings that will be hard to be corrected in the stretch run of the 2019 season? In this episode of the Devils Junkies podcast, we'll review... Arizona State's loss to Utah and talk about the upcoming matchup against UCLA, one that can very much determine the course of the season for Arizona State. So welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. I was living in a devil town.
1: I didn't
0: know it was a devil town. Oh lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devils Junkies podcast. I'm your host and DevilsDigest.com publisher, Hodor Bino. And there's no way to sugarcoat the lopsided loss that Arizona State suffered in Salt Lake City. It definitely was embarrassing in some respects, having 12 penalties for 122 yards. Definitely very, very reminiscent of the teams that we saw in Tempe under Dennis Erickson not too long ago. By virtue of scoring just three points, two of the longest standing streaks, in program history it came to an end. Arizona State entered the game having matched an FBS modern record with 125 consecutive games, scoring over 10 points. It also had the longest active screen of scoring at least seven points. Both of streaks now gone. Arizona State collected just 136 yards of total offense, and their 25 passing yards is the lowest in program history since 2006 when they collected just 33 passing yards against Oregon. I can go on and on and throw out some unflattering stats that uh, took place during the game or as a result of this contest, but I think you already get the picture. Definitely a pitiful performance by the Arizona State offense. So what are some of the things that really went wrong for this side of the ball for the Sun Devils? Well, I think first and foremost, it's really the pass protection issues that Arizona State had all night long. Those 25 yards passing by true and Jaden Daniels are definitely a direct result of a relentless pass rushing pressure by the Utes and whatever adjustments and pass protection the Sun Devil staff was trying to employ, they certainly did not work against the host on Saturday night. Jaden Daniels was sacked three times in this contest. The Utah defense recorded six tackles for a loss. Jaden Daniels had one interception in the game. It was a Hail Mary at the end of the half, so that's one mishap you would look at and not really count it as a struggle by the ASU offense or anything to that extent, but as mentioned, Arizona State not being able to provide adequate pass protection to Jaden Daniels really crippled the Sun Devils' passing game, and again, the numbers. Bear that out and do so in a very painful manner if you're an Arizona State fan. ASU head coach Herman Word said after the game that having such a young team, you felt that there was going to be a contest sometime this year where the youth was really going to show, and he certainly thought that the loss to Utah was exactly that. Jaden Daniels does have a cool, common, collected demeanor. He definitely doesn't show on the field or even off the field that he can get rattled by much, but I do think that the immense pressure that he felt from the Utes defense definitely got to him as a quarterback who's starting in his seventh game overall at the college level. There's only so much experience you can gain with short, with such a short sample size. Even though Daniels did see pretty challenging defenses from Michigan State and Cal earlier in the year, I don't think there's any doubt that the unit that he faced on Saturday night in Salt Lake City was definitely the strongest of its kind so far in 2019. And Jenny Daniels, due to the sheer inexperience factor, just was not able to handle what was thrown at him. And it was a lot, as we mentioned earlier, in terms of the numbers, both the positive and negative numbers that were posted uh, during this game. You also point to the fact that you had two freshman offensive linemen starting and left tackle Adaris Henderson. I thought ever since he made the start in week three against Michigan State, definitely held its own by and large, did not show his vast inexperience. Not only not only is a guy a true freshman, but he's only turning 18 on, on, on December 8th. And it's really a, a boy going against men, literally and figuratively. And maybe he got away negating that aspect, if you will, against Michigan State, against Cal, but against Utah and their pair of talented defensive linemen and Bradley and I, And Futo proved to be an obstacle just really too hard to conquer. The other freshman offensive lineman for Arizona State, Donovan West, at right guard, a player that, quite frankly, has really played very, very well in the last few weeks for Arizona State. Uh, Definitely had more than he could handle on Saturday. And we saw senior lineman Kate Cote, if you recall, The player who was slated to be the starting center for the Sun Devils did injure his foot four days before the season opener, has not seen game action at all this year until Saturday night, and he was replacing West on some snaps at right guard. So that's really a sign of how difficult a night it was for the Arizona State offensive line. They also rotated at right tackle Stephen Miller and Roy Hemsley. This wasn't really unique to this contest. We did see it happening in the last couple of weeks, but I think it's just emblematic of Arizona State trying to find some kind of solution against the Utah defensive line, trying different combinations, and really anything that they tried in terms of in-game adjustments, in terms of adjustments after halftime, Nothing really seemed to work. Arizona State was, wasn't was even one step forward, two step back as far as offensive progression or lack thereof. It really was just being more s- stuck in the mud. And again, when you just have 136 total offensive yards, uh, that is beyond a struggling unit. And that uh, definitely showed up in spades on Saturday night. As you can imagine, offensive coordinator Rob Likens really came under a lot of fire from ASU fans due to this futile performance by the Arizona State offense. And Rob Likens mentioned a few things. He talked about the uh, chip blocking uh, approach that really did not work for uh, Arizona State. And that's when really sometimes you ask a tight end or a running back to assist in the blocking oncoming defensive linemen, sometimes even linebackers, and that's something that Arizona State was not able to execute effectively. Because of the continuous duress that Jaden Daniels was under, Rob Likens did try some max protect sets where basically you're bringing in an extra tight end, you're having the running back solely be a blocker in pass protection, and that created a situation as Likens described as having only three wide receivers as your skilled players that are able to go out there and potentially make a play facing five, six defensive backs waiting for them just because Utah did not really have to commit that many players to the pass rush. So dropping more players in coverage obviously can frustrate your passing game. And that's exactly what happened in this matchup. Now Likens talked about being a one-dimensional offense. And I thought that comment was a bit curious and here's where i'm coming from yes arizona state only had 27 rushing yards in the first half so you can't pass the ball you can't run the ball that naturally spells heaps of trouble and that's exactly where arizona state found itself in the first half but in the second half they did actually gain 84 yards on the ground running back eno benjamin gained 76 of his 104 yards in the last two quarters of the game, some of his biggest runs of the night did take place in the second half. Yet when you look at the box score, Eno Benjamin only has 15 carries. Now, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that Arizona State does want to preserve Eno Benjamin. They don't want him to average the 23 carries per game that he did in 2018. You want to fresh Eno Benjamin down the stretch. I also understand that really trailing by two scores for such a long stretch of the contest really causes, by default, consciously or not, to abandon the running game, really try to concentrate more on your passing game. But on a night where Arizona State obviously could not pass protect to save its life, obviously on a night where Jaden Daniels, as mentioned, really showed his youth and inexperience and was rattled more than people think, that he was with the onslaught of pass rushers down after down. I feel that was much more prudent for Arizona State to try to stick with the running game because basically that's the only thing you had going for yourself. And with the running game, you still could move the chains. You can have more players committed to the box and maybe get some favorable matchups one-on-one in the passing game. And really, the bottom line was the running game was working much better for Arizona State than the passing game. So the insistence of trying to revive something that has been dead, for lack of a better term, for most of the night, if not the entire night, uh, seems a bit odd. And if you can't find any solutions to pass protect better, any solutions to get the wide receivers open quicker or for Jaden Daniels to have a quicker release, then you definitely have to turn to the running game to one of the best running backs in the Pac-12 and see if he can win the game that way. And I also think that if you had a successful running game and you're maintaining more control of the clock, that gives the ASU defense much-needed rest. That frustrates your opponent. I mean, there's really a bunch of advantages that can work in your favor if you do have the running game going well. So uh, that's, I think, one criticism that I would have, and I think a lot of ASU fans would share that item of criticism as well, along with the obvious of just not being able to adequately pass protect against Utah. Now, I'm not comparing Arizona State to an offense like Washington State, but they were able to score 13 points to have over 300 yards of offense. And even to look at a team like Oregon State that obviously is is struggling this year, maybe having some measure of success compared to recent years, but at home against Utah, sure, they only scored seven points, but they still had 217 yards of offense. So Arizona State is not even able to reach those numbers, those figures posted by Utah's last two opponents. And I don't think the pass rush by the Utes in those two contests was paltry, was anemic compared to what Arizona State had to face on on Saturday night. So when you talk about a disparity in talent, which obviously does exist between Arizona State and Utah, now you wonder if Arizona State's offense, even compared to an offense like Oregon State, is really light, light years behind. Now, both teams are going to face each other in the middle of November in Corvallis, so we can get our answer there. But again, even though I've seen other teams in the Pac-12 struggle against Utah, nothing was to the extent of what Arizona State had to endure. So you look at this game and you just wonder, is this just an eye-opening experience that Arizona State can use as a great teaching tool to improve for the future? Or is this really just a culmination of aspects that Arizona State has been able to, quote unquote, get away with when they were compiling a 5 1 record going into the Utah contest, and now everything is coming to a head? You're just faced with shortcomings that are hard to fix in short order as you're entering the home stretch of your 2019 season. I know that the Herm Edwards detractors think that he purposely employs an offense that is never going to be explosive that's never going to be one that can light up the scoreboard against really good defenses and i don't know if there's really that much validity to that statement because again you point to the game that washington state had against utah just a few weeks ago and there's no arguing that washington state's offense is light years better than arizona state's but at the same time they only scored 13 points against utah so sure it's more points than arizona state but would ASU fans feel better if the score on Saturday was 21 to 13 rather than 21 to three? I mean, maybe I don't know if if that's something that really would would comfort the ailing Sun Devil fans right now. But I also think that when you look at what Herm Edwards said going into the Washington State game knowing that they need to score more than 30 points, that's what they did, and they won the game. A game against Colorado, even though it was a loss, they faced one of the worst defenses in the Pac-12 and almost took advantage of it, but they weren't struggling to score in that game, so I don't know if you can really label the Arizona State offense as being ultra-conservative, one that's really very concerned about ball control and not so much about putting points on the board. I think that's really doing disservice to what the Arizona State offense is trying to accomplish. It's It's really an offense that is average right now. I don't know if it's below average. It's definitely not above average, but it's just average. And against a really good Utah defense and against a really good Michigan State defense, for that matter, this offense will struggle to put points on the board. They got away with it against Michigan State. Obviously, that wasn't the case against Utah, but I don't know if I'd really label this offense as trying to be so conservative that it really shoots itself in the foot When they're facing a defense such as Utah, I think they tried to do a lot of different things. Rob Blackins talked about rolling the pocket, uh, having some bootleg plays, which did work on one occasion, didn't work on some other occasions. Uh, I feel that Rob Blackins probably should have called a better game. Yes, should have had better in-game and halftime adjustments. Absolutely. But I don't think there was any concerned effort by Rob Likens, let alone by Herm Edwards, directing that approach for Arizona State to be ultra conservative in the way they play Utah just because of the caliber of defense that they're playing and try to outmaneuver, for lack of a better term, a very, very talented group that they were facing on the other side of the ball. One of the most frustrating events that took place on Saturday when it comes to the ASU offense is that its defense was able to force. Four turnovers, two of them pretty deep in Utah's territory, and the Arizona State offense was not able to capitalize aside from that lone field goal scored. So let's move to the other side of the ball and review what happened with the Arizona State defense on Saturday night. As I mentioned in the intro, the 12 penalties for 122 yards were definitely a huge hindrance for Arizona State's chances in keeping the game close, let alone winning it. And the reason I didn't mention the penalties that much with the offense is because the defense did record the majority of those penalties and some of them were obviously very crucial as I'll illustrate in a minute here. But you look at how the defense started out the game and it sure looked like the first three series that the Arizona State defense was definitely about to make quite the statement tonight. The first and the second series of the game, the Sun Devil defense force and recovers a fumble on the third series. They pitch a three and out. Needless to say that the Arizona State offense did not capitalize on those exceptional plays by the Arizona State defense. But nonetheless, a very, very good start for that side of the ball for ASU but that dream start for the asu defense proceeded two nightmarish drives where it sure seemed that the wheels were just about to fall off by the arizona state defense definitely in sharp contrast to the way they started out the game in the first half the arizona state defense did a great job containing utah star running back zach zach moss on the ground But 20 of his 28 first half rushing yards came on a 60 yard scoring drive by Utah. Now, in fairness, we have to mention that even though the Arizona State defense did a good job of slowing down Utah's ground attack, their over pursuing approach did come back to hurt him when it comes to Moss and the passing game because they actually hold in three catches for 78 yards. Definitely one of the more surprising stats of the first half, if not in the entire contest. So the second scoring drive. For Utah, that is one that defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez has every right to be absolutely fuming over. 45 of Utah's 73 yards on that scoring drive came as a quote-unquote courtesy of three personal fouls committed by Arizona State. Two of them by sophomore linebackers Darian Butler and Merlin Robinson, and the infraction by Butler actually came on a third down, keeping the drive alive rather than forcing a three and out by Utah. And the bigger transgression, I would say, is junior Tillman safety Evan Fields, who was ejected due to a targeting call. So, obviously, you cannot win these type of contests when you commit that many penalties. That goes without saying. Danny Gonzalez mentioned that himself after the game. Nonetheless, as often the case has been this year, the Arizona State defense really settled down quite a bit in the second half. In the third quarter, they recovered a fumble as well as an interception by cornerback Chase Lucas. All the offense could do in returns us to score its lone three points on the night. And following Lucas's uh, play, which awarded the ball to the Arizona State offense on Utah's 28-yard line, the offense went three and out on a drive where they had minus 15 yards. So, yes, it was that kind of night for the Arizona State offense where they're a gifted turnover by turnover by its defense and are absolutely incapable of capitalizing on those precious opportunities against a very formidable opponent in Utah. And another trend that we saw rear its head on Saturday night was the fact that when the defense doesn't get support from the offense time and time again, the dam finally breaks. And it actually did start with a fumbled punt return by Jack Jones, which was recovered by Utah, with uh, just about five and a half minutes left in the game, and that is something that seemingly broke the ASU defense's spirit, as it immediately allowed a 32-yard rushing touchdown by Moss. Until that score, the Arizona State defense held Utah to just 72 yards of offense in the second half. But there's something to be said of a defense that displays its hearts hearts out and just does not receive any support whatsoever. From its offense. And sure, it's nothing that you're ever going to hear publicly. You ne- you'll never even see coaches and players dropping hints, but you know that deep down that's exactly how the coaches and players on that side of the ball for Arizona State feel. It would hardly be hyperbolic to claim that the Arizona State defense carrying the strap of the Arizona State offense all season long. And Utah was the type of contest where if the Arizona State defense was not going to score a touchdown, then Arizona State wouldn't even have. A snowball chance in hell of winning that game. This definitely wasn't a perfect outing by the Arizona State defense. Things got way too chippy, way too undisciplined on this side of the ball for ASU. And yes, they definitely did pay for that throughout the contest, but I don't think it's a game where head and shame, again, obviously putting aside the, the penalty aspect of it. I mean, sure, giving up 21 points and over 300 yards of offense is nothing to brag about at all. But I think that once again, this Arizona state defense kept matters as close as they can, as long as they could. And right now they're just operating with no margin for error, just because of the struggles of the Arizona state offense. So I still think that by and large, you can feel pretty good about what the ASU defense was able to accomplish. Uh, Ironically, much like last year, they faced a hobbled Tyler Huntley, the quarterback for Utah, who inj- got injured in the late in the first half. Probably should not have been there in the third quarter play- playing for the Utes. He definitely was uh, limping noticeably. Obviously, his play in the third quarter as well as the play of, the, of his backup, uh, Jason Shelley, did allow the Arizona State defense to have some measure of success in that second half that uh, definitely was a factor. But again, you can't take anything away from this Arizona State defense, especially the way they played in the second half. It's unfortunate that the penalties really mar this performance by the Sun Devils. But but nonetheless, I think it was another pretty good outing by the Arizona State defense, showing its progression from last year, definitely showing its progression from two, three years ago. And it's not a game that you need to be discouraged by the performance itself, but really more discouraged by the penalties, which by and large are are an aberration. Arizona State, I believe, was averaging five penalties a game coming into the contest, obviously more than doubled that output, but I expect to see a much cleaner game in the weeks to come, starting with next week against UCLA. And let's uh, take a few minutes and devote uh, to that matchup that's uh, coming up in the Rose Bowl on Saturday afternoon. When I look at ASU's next opponent, UCLA, I don't know if I would call them an enigma, but they definitely have some very interesting results in their 2-5 record. They started out the season 0-3, losing all three non-conference games, and then go up to Pullman and win that improbable contest over there. Uh, they were down in the second half, I think, by as much as 30-some points, and still escape with a 67-63 win over there. Then they have a close loss Arizona 20 to 17 losing at home 48 to 31 to Oregon State and this past uh, Thursday they go up to Palo Alto play a very depleted Stanford squad who had their third string quarterback out there and won very convincingly 34 to 16 so maybe they have some momentum coming into this game I'm sure that Arizona State's performance against Utah doesn't strike any fear in a team like UCLA despite their two and 5 record. In conference, they're 2-2, and so much like Arizona State that has the same exact Pac-12 mark, they feel that they have a sliver of hope of maybe capturing the Pac-12 South Championship or at least being in contention. As the season progresses, so that's the mindset of the Bruins right now. When you look at the statistical standings in the Pac-12, UCLA and ASU are ranked 9th and 10, respectively, in total offense, so I don't think that any of the defenses for either team feels that they have a whale of a task ahead of them, but I think when it comes to the defensive stats, that's when we see really stark differences between both squads. In scoring defense, Arizona State is ranked 3rd in the Pac-12 18.1 points, UCLA 11th in 34.6. When you look at total defense, Arizona State number three in, in the conference, 352 yards, UCLA 10th with 459 yards. So if the ASU offense really wanted a bounce back contest after horrendous performance in Salt Lake City, I think that UCLA is definitely what the doctor had ordered. And the UCLA offense knows that the caliber of defense they'll be facing at home on Saturday is definitely a few levels better than the one they saw in Palo Alto against Stanford. So this is a matchup that I think really does favor Arizona State and on many aspects. Maybe because of the recent win over Stanford. And yes, keep in mind that this is probably the worst Stanford squad that we've seen at least this decade. So it is fair to take that win by UCLA with a big grain of salt. But nonetheless, UCLA is also a very well-rested team playing one game in the last 20 days. Arizona State would have played two road games in the last 14 days. So there's definitely that factor. So all in all, this is a matchup that maybe looked like a walk in the park just a few weeks ago and somewhat perception changed based on the way Arizona State played against Utah and and UCLA winning at Stanford. Your classic coach speak would tell you that the biggest game of the year is the next game, but in ACU's case, I really feel that adage is very much true because if you win this game, first and foremost, you ensure bowl eligibility, which I know should never be the ultimate goal of any team with high aspirations, and I think Arizona State does fit in that category, but it, it would be nice for a change for Arizona State to put at least that achievement, if you will to bed before Halloween and not have it spill into sometime in November. A win obviously is going to keep Arizona State's slim hopes for a Pac-12 championship alive and in the process also knocking out a Bruins squad that does have a similar conference record right now. But I think more importantly, resiliency is a trait that Arizona State has shown time and time again in the 2019 season. And a win against UCLA can definitely demonstrate that that trait is alive and well. And as Arizona State is about to end, a very tough stretch in november granted three of those games are at home the lone road game at oregon state a contest that, at least on paper is a very winnable one but you have home games against usc against oregon against arizona you definitely need to come with some kind of momentum of your own into that stretch there's actually a bye week that takes place right after the ucla game so we talk often about going into the bye week with, with a good mindset. A 6-2 and two record sounds a whole lot better than a 5-3 and three mark. And Arizona State, I feel right now, is really at a true crossroads because a win can really keep a lot of your aspirations alive, can prove that what happened against Utah was a huge operation and not a true reflection of the talent of this team, and I think head coach Rom Edwards said said it best that uh, UCLA is a game that uh, we get to find out uh, find out a lot about yourselves and there's definitely something to be said about needing to regroup, really prove to yourself, or prove to the rest of the Pac-12 that uh, you're still a force to be reckoned in the conference, and only a win against UCLA can prove that point to yourself, let alone to uh, the rest of the conference. So it's going to be another busy week uh, for us over here at Devil's Digest with all our content leading up to Saturday's contest. We're going to have an interview with the UCLA Insider talking about the state of affairs right now in Westwood and how that program is feeling about this upcoming game with the Sun Devils. We'll have a film study of the UCLA offense with their head coach, Chip Kelly. Uh, As you can imagine, uh, this offense has been explosive at times with uh, some really interesting uh, schemes and trends, and we'll uh, make sure to include all that in our analysis. Obviously, we'll have interviews with various ASU coaches and players talking about the contest that was against Utah and obviously the upcoming contest against the Bruins. Some of those features I mentioned are going to be premium features, and there's only one way to make sure that you don't miss any of our content. Become a premium subscriber today to devilsdigest.com and make sure you have uninterrupted coverage of the team. We also have a lot of recruiting content that is exclusive to my premium subscribers. And as my premium subscribers would attest, they were definitely in the loop, definitely in the know about the recent commits to the Arizona State's 2020 class months and months before, and there's a lot more information where that came from. Arizona State's recruiting class, as you may know, is ranked number 25th in the country as we speak, so there's definitely going to be a lot of exciting news uh, coming down the pike uh, the next couple of months over here, so make sure as a premium subscriber that uh, you won't miss any of the uh, updates and developments when it comes to that so that will do it for this week's devil's junkies podcast our next episode will come following the ucla game so thank you so much uh, for tuning in enjoy the rest of your week i was living in a devil town i didn't know it was a devil town oh lord it really brings me down about the devil town